And Dennis, today, well, you often talk about North American herbs in your programs and uh, and in recommendations. So why do we have North American herbs spreading outside North America so much? That's a very good question, which leads to some very interesting information. And I'm sure the listeners will be fascinated to know why we use so many American herbs in English-speaking herbalism. And Jean's rung in from Melbourne. And Jean, your question is about eczema today. Uh, yes. Uh, good afternoon, Dennis. Hello, Jean. Uh, my, How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very That's much. good. Good. Yeah. Uh, my son has um, a small rash on the face. Yes. And I took him to the doctor. Yes. And uh, he said it's uh, eczema. Mm-hmm. And he's 17 year old. So yes. it was very small, and but he's yes. very conscious because yes. he's a teenage boy. Yes. Um, so since then, he used the the doctor gave him the cortisone cream, yes. the very low dosage yes. because it was very mild. Yes. And I also um, bought the mungu mungu yes. cream. Yes. Uh, and that worked a little bit, and uh, it just yes. doesn't fix it. Okay. So it's always there. I've been half a year. Okay. And it seems very stubborn. Okay. And now I can't really notice much. He said it's, you know, he gets um, on other area of the face, he gets mm-hmm. it too. Okay. And it's affecting his eyebrow. He's very worried. He said okay. that uh, one part of the hair, it, uh, the eyebrow hair mm-hmm. is missing. Okay. Um, I can't really notice much, but he's, you know, very worried. Okay. So what to do? Jean, yeah. Jean, a couple of things that I'd uh, initiate here would be, confirm the diagnosis from what you have just told me um, your son's condition seems to be more like a seborrheic dermatitis which is connected uh-huh. which is connected to an eczema but um, yeah. wh- where the eyebrows are implicated and where the where the the hair is being lost uh, yeah. I see see that more pointing to a common condition known as seborrheic dermatitis and your pharmacist would be able to give you a good topical application that normally involves amongst other things a low level of, of a tar preparation if it's on the scalp yeah. uh, and and that works reasonably well i've used some of that myself at times for a, a scalp condition so confirm either with your doctor or with a dermatologist what you're really looking at if it's lingering and has been there yeah. for some time and perhaps is becoming a little bit more complicated by uh, involving the the eyebrows and other areas of the hair you'd want to follow up and make sure that the diagnosis is correct and the other thing is that you don't uh, treat um, inflammatory skin conditions on the face you don't normally treat those with ongoing corticosteroids that's not a wise yeah. thing to do ongoingly because it can have a downside to it so even if it is eczema um, yeah. you, you should look at other options and the options there are looking at things for instance like a chickweed ointment which is a good yeah. preparation. Some of your compounding pharmacists down in Melbourne, and I know many of them, um, Gerald Quigley would be one down there that you should talk to about this, but a cream with glycerotinic acid in it, known as the GA cream. And yeah. Gerald would know about that because he attended my seminars down there. Talk to, to him about that or other compounding pharmacists. That is a very useful preparation for what you might call subacute or chronic 
eczema conditions. So there are two options for creams, a chickweed cream or what's yep. called the GA cream. Get the diagnosis confirmed. If it is in the scalp of seborrheic dermatitis, your pharmacist should be able to provide you with a, a lotion or a shampoo that contains a small amount of, of tar in it, which would be beneficial. Now, also what your son needs to do as far as oral supplements, any yep. herb, any herbalist or naturopath would recommend that he goes on to a course of what's called oil of evening primrose. And he takes that orally. You can get that anywhere, health food store or pharmacy, in an encapsulated form. Goes on to that and stays with it for an extended period of time. It's a slow achiever, but there's a fair amount of information supporting it. And as far as the use of herbs are concerned, there are two herbs that are very useful for treating eczema that is stubborn and not, not yeah. yielding. And the two herbs, one of them is called heart's ease. Heart's heart. ease. Yes, botanically known as viola tricolor. Heart sea, yeah. Heart seas, and the other one is stinging nettle, known as, er nettle. Known as urtica, U-R-T-I-C-A. Now, those two, yeah. those two herbs in a liquid form uh, are the backbone of my oral formula for treating chronic eczema. So run that past uh, a compounding pharmacist or a herbalist down there in Melbourne, and you have plenty of them. Uh, try to contact Gerald. I know him personally. But that would yeah. be my approach. If you did that, you're not going to be frustrated by just standing back yeah. and watching this thing. Yes, uh, exactly. He's watching all the yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Dennis, just want That's to clarify. Okay. What's the uh, person's name? Gerald. Gerald Quigley. He's well known in, in Melbourne, a personal friend of mine, a competent pharmacist and a competent herbalist. But there are others down there also, I know, because I taught many of them, and uh, they would relate to those products that I've mentioned. Okay, the GA cream. Yes. And you also said uh, uh, um, recommend him to take a course of the oral, um, oral preparation. Herbs. What's that yeah. called again? That, that's uh, the, the, the oil of evening primrose in capsule form. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then the two herbs... A stinging nettle yep. and heart's ease. Now you okay. should you should seek out a practitioner, a pharmacist who can expand on that for you, and so yeah. you're being professionally looked after, not just okay. helping yourself. Get back, sure. get back, and let us know, Jean, how you're going. Yep. Okay, I will. Thank you very much. You you always a great help for Thank me. Thank you very much, Jean. Thank you. Thank you. Louise has rung in from Mark's Point. Louise, you've got a bit of a problem with lack of smell and taste. Ah, uh, yes. Good afternoon, Janet. Hello, Louise. Hi. Back in February, I had what I would say the flu, very yes. bad flu. I thought and so. And ever mm. since, mm. I have no smell and no taste. Yes. And I've been, I've been to the doctor and he has referred me to a specialist yes. that I'm wondering if you could help me. Okay. Look, this is not an uncommon, uh, an uncommon scenario that you're working through. Uh, many of these states tend to be self-resolving. And unfortunately, they can take a little bit of time in so doing. But uh -huh. what, what I have found is a simple approach, which is not expensive, uh, which has, from my experience, helped some people, not all, is based, number one, on getting hold of what are called very bitter herbs. Now, bitter herbs are herbs that taste very bitter. They speak for themselves. But bitter herbs are renowned in the herbal medicine tradition for promoting both appetite promoting digestive secretion and as a result of that improving the sense of taste so a bitter tasting herb would be something like a, a dandelion 
It would be something like globe artichoke. Uh, the classic one would be uh, gentian, not gentian violet, but gentian. And these come frequently in, in compounds. For instance, Swedish bitters uh, is available from health food stores, and it is represented by herbs which are naturally very bitter tasting. And as I said, bitter tasting herbs are crucial in our profession for enhancing all aspects of a debilitated or dysfunctioning digestive tract. Try it, it's worthwhile. The second thing is, as far as the, uh, the, the smell is concerned, um, I would be looking at that as a, as a means of trying to improve the health of the membrane that's been affected. And what I would be doing is going on to what are called bioflavonoids. Now, in my, in my experience, bioflavonoids have a remarkable effect on, on upper respiratory tract conditions, including rhinitis, uh, sinusitis, eustachian tube catarrh, uh, those sorts of things. And bioflavonoids, and one of them in particular called quercetin, I'll spell it for you, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-A-I-N, quercetin. It's, it's a remarkable bioflavonoid, which out of, out of all the bioflavonoids has an affinity for the mucosa of the upper respiratory tract. Look, it's worthwhile giving it a go. They're not expensive. They're not drugs. The worst thing that can happen, they mightn't help. But in my view, they've got a good chance of speeding up the resolution of the problem. Thank you very, very much. Good on you, Louise. Thank, Thank you, you, Louise. Thank you. And uh, we're going now to Caves Beach, and Peter joins us. Um, your mother-in-law has polymyalgia, and you're looking for something that might help there, Peter. Yes, good afternoon, good afternoon, Dennis, and thanks for taking my call. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but my grandmother, sorry, my mother-in-law mm. do have, does have the uh, the uh, the issue with yes. the um, polymyalgia, yes. And, yes. and the thing, that the concern here, Dennis, is that she had, does has been told and um, prescribed to take uh, prednisone, which is yes. causing smell effects to her body and mm. uh, mind and so on. So mm. we are desperately looking for some alternatives mm. to uh, apart from taking the uh, prednisone. Polymyalgia is a, is a nasty condition and, mm. <clears throat> and not easy to treat. Um, prednisone is a problem if it is used in higher dosages over an extended period of time. But to be fair to orthodox medicine, if used professionally, as I'm sure it is in your mother's case, and, yes. in, and in the lower, lower dosages, round about five milligrams of prednisone, in my uh, experience and in my opinion... Uh, at that level, it is uh, safe, and when, or that is when monitored by a general practitioner, who who is the only one that could uh, prescribe a steroid like this. This is not something yes. that one gets from a health food store or even from a pharmacy without a script. Yes. But 5 mg's of prednisone, even over an extended period of time, I've seen to be a very useful and frequently the only way of giving the sort of relief that can come from this wretched condition. Now, mm. having, having said that, having said that, you've heard me mention on this program a combination of herbs known as Astragalus 8. Now, Astragalus 8 is renowned as a restorative remedy and is used to address a lot of conditions of, that have an immune uh, dysfunction associated with it. And mm. so Astragalus 8 would be something, in my opinion, that would be useful uh, for your elderly mother-in-law to take. It comes in mm. tablet or liquid form. And in my experience, what it does is hasten the, the movement away from this condition and give the doctor's medication a chance to
to do its job faster. So mm -hmm. my suggestion would be don't precipitate a crisis by uh, taking this dear lady off this preparation because she'll crumble. The normal, mm. the normal management is a higher dose of steroid, gradually bringing it down to about 5 mg's and leaving mm -hmm. the patient on that. And in my experience, the use of a supportive uh, preparation such as Astragalus 8 uh, can work with that condition and may be, as I've said, expedite the, the, the resolution of the problem. Now, with that, to be fair to your general practitioner, who is the prime contact therapist in our society, you should mention to him uh, that what I have said, I can't see any reason why it would clash. It would be useful, but make sure your GP has logged it and uh, is aware of what's going on. Excellent. We'll do that. We'll follow your advice. It's fantastic. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Right at the moment, Dennis, you did say you wanted to talk about North American herbs, and it's really interesting. Here in Australia, mm. we're using North American herbs. Correct. Haven't we got the same sorts of herbs here? In fact, we haven't. And the reason we are uh, so dependent upon North American herbs is uh, as a result of an accident of history. Uh, listeners might be interested to know that um, when the first colonists, if you like, went to North America, they immediately came in contact with a fairly sophisticated culture and society, and fairly sophisticated also in their understanding of medicine and the way in which plants had an ability to heal disease. The Quakers, for instance, which were some of the first colonists to go to the United States, lovely people, the Quakers, they're also known as the Society of Friends, and they escaped from Britain because uh, the religious establishment of Britain at that time, I think it was around about the, 16th, or about the 17th century, wouldn't allow them to practice their New Testament interpretation of Christianity, which was based on love and pacifism and respect for all sorts of things. They didn't fit in to the terrible um, establishment that, that reigned in England at that time. So they took off. And, um, and, and left Plymouth and landed in what we now know as Pennsylvania. And uh, it's, it was named after William Penn, one of the first of the, of the Quakers who led the movement to the US. Now, the Quakers got it very, very well with the indigenous population, the people we call the Red Indians. Whereas later colonists went in with guns blazing and, and did some terrible things, the Quakers were warmed to by the indigenous people and moreover uh, they helped the indigenous people with farming techniques but also the indigenous people shared with them their profound knowledge of medicinal herbs and the, the, the Quakers very quickly began to use many of these herbs which became entrenched not only in, in the Quaker use of American herbs but in subsequent developments of medicine in the US. So um, there was a guy called Samuel Thompson, who is 100 or so years on from this, and he was a, an American who tragically uh, saw many of his family succumb to illnesses which these days we handle very well. And he saw that the medicine of the white establishment at that stage, which was based on, based on, on bloodletting and purging, was, was useless. So he took note of what the American Red Indians were doing and went on where he was to save many people from these diseases that were wiping them out with American-based herbs. His name was William um, Samuel Thompson. Now, the interesting thing was 
that his ideas were taken back by whites, by Europeans, by Brits, back from the from North America, uh, back to England. <laughs> Interestingly, you're not going to believe it, but it's true. Two people that had a lot to do in translating the American-based system of herbalism based on American herbs back to the UK were two gentlemen whose names were Skelton and Coffin. And I'm not, I'm not joking, that's actually correct. So the, the, what happened then, of course, was that uh, Britain, was, which was emerging as an imperial power with colonies everywhere, not only saw these herbs forming the basis of herbal medicine that was being practised in emerging industrial cities in the UK, but those herbs and the ideas of the herbalism that was now being practised in the, in the UK based on American herbs, began to spread to the colonies. So countries like uh, Canada, uh, uh, South Africa, New Zealand and Australia, as part of the, the, um, of the empire at that stage, we picked up on that system of herbalism, which was established based on North American herbs, translated to the UK and then spread to the colonies. And the interesting thing was, down the track, the, uh, the use of American herbs was banned in the US, uh, particularly to persons who were known as herbalists or who did not have what you might call a medical license. And fortunately, under the British Crown and under common law, that could not happen in English uh, countries under the, under the Crown because since Henry VIII, uh, a law had been passed which gave herbalists the right to practice herbal medicine in all countries under the crown. So whereas in North America, their own herbs could no longer be used by non-medical people in the, in, the, in the British Empire, they continued to flourish. And over 100 years ago in this country, the first Herbalist Association was formed, an extension of what happened in the UK and the herbs that we're now using. There's a round-the-bush round explanation of why we're terribly dependent on American herbs. That is an interesting it's story. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating story. Fascinating story. But the Quakers, uh, we don't hear much about them these days, but I have a great affinity and love for them. Their pacifism and their, their, the way in which they're able to blend into the indigenous population uh, without sword, without any conquering attitudes. They learned the knowledge of the indigenous population, started to use the herbs, squawvine, golden seal, Echinacea, Baptisia, you name them, all those things we use today, that's where it all kicked off. This is health naturally. Now, Astragalus <laughs> age, yeah, of course, yeah. that's not a North American <laughs> herb, is it? Well, well of course, <clears throat> one of the things that's so fascinating about being in herbal medicine today is to see the changes that have taken place. I'll talk about Astragalus in a moment as to where it fits into things. Let's do that because Glenda's rung in on 49216216 from Swansea Heads and your question is about Astragalus 8, Glenda. Yes, thank you. Hi, Dennis. Hello, I just Glenda. love that. I just love that history lesson. I could oh, listen to that all afternoon. <laughs> oh, I just love fascinating. those Quakers. Yeah, yeah those yeah. Quakers. Beautiful people. My library is yeah. stacked with the with the with the writings oh. of the Quakers. Yeah. 
Wow, thank yeah. you so much yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, look, I just love a little bit more of a lesson of Astragalus yeah. yes. 8. Yes. I, I was on it for a long time. Yeah. I had very bronchial, yes. hefty, um yes. issues, and um, yeah. it just sort of supported me through a couple of last winters. Yes. Yeah. But I just would love another lesson about what other areas it can help and okay. support. Astragalus is, is a remedy that I use very frequently to help people come out of a, of a, a disease crisis. For instance, um, people that have been hospitalised, uh, who have been uh, very seriously ill, that have been uh, treated properly in hospital but come out debilitated, and whose immune systems uh, perhaps are not as vibrant as they should be, and who are concerned about uh, faltering in the face of further disease challenges, I see Astragalus 8 there uh, being a useful restorative remedy. In fact, some, some of the labelling on Astragalus 8 products uses the term <clears throat> restorative remedy, and that is something that is used to build up, to improve and sustain the person's health profile, particularly their immunological competency. So I use it a lot there. Uh, I use it greatly, greatly in addressing uh, the chronic fatigue syndrome, which uh, I, I'm not aware of any remedy that I have worked with in my 40-year history that does so much good in addressing chronic fatigue, particularly when it can be traced back uh, to glandular fever or what we call the Epstein-Barr virus. I know, I know no better remedy. Uh, others might, but I don't know any better remedy to address these wretched viral conditions, even things like herpes, um, but uh, particularly herpes simplex, where, where people have been really struggling with that condition where, where it goes from one outbreak to another outbreak to another outbreak. Uh, I go on record of saying that if a person who is experiencing chronic outbreaks of, of cold sores or herpes, if they were to go on to Astragalus 8 and stay on it, and stay on it for, for an extended period of time, I would be very surprised if there wasn't a significant improvement in the outbreak of that particular virus. I could go on, but there's some of the areas where there's fascinating uh, combination, uh, and it has a history of it too. I was said to Jane a moment ago, I'll talk about it, I'll just explain it to you now. It, it's history. It, it, its history goes back to the, the, the uh, how can I call it, the insistence of Mao Zedong um, that, that um, Chinese doctors should begin to use um, Chinese herbs or indigenous remedies and not depend entirely on the Western medical system. He did not put down the Western medical system, but when he came to power in the, in the, in the communist revolution of years ago, he was intent on bringing back dignity to, to, to the Chinese people, their way of life, and to retrieve a lot of their systems of culture, philosophy, and medicine. So he instructed uh, Chinese uh, doctors to look at their Materia Medica and see which, which remedies had the best reputation for helping people fight a disease with particularly a companion remedy to Western medicine, but which remedies were used mainly to address some of the chronic and entrenched diseases. And the, the people came back and there were a handful of herbs that they were able to demonstrate had a significant immunological co consequence. Astragalus membranaceus was the leader of the pack. 
but there were other remedies called up, particularly in that uh, other in that Astragalus 8 formula, that have similar characteristics to Astragalus. And so they began to be used in cancer treatments where people receiving oncology would also uh, use those immune-enhancing herbs. And the knowledge began to spread. So when the AIDS epidemic asserted itself in the United States, a number of Chinese-American doctors began to use those herbs rediscovered uh, or reused by Chinese mainland doctors, they began to use these herbs in seeking to improve the uh, AIDS sufferer uh, in his fight against this wretched disease. It was never seen as a cure, but what it demonstrated was was a great ability to improve the overall health of the person, to support the immune system and improve their prognosis. And I discovered the formula in preparing a, a series of lectures for, uh, on the immune system in a Melbourne postgraduate course that I gave at Ormond College years ago, a, b- a book written by Donald Badgley. That, that, that name should be noted by listeners, Donald Badgley, uh, an American doctor. He wrote a book entitled Healing AIDS Naturally. And the book was all to do with using natural medicine approaches, nutrition, vitamin therapy, acupuncture, and herbal medicine as means of helping to treat this condition. And I managed to locate the book as I wandered through the excellent bookshops in Melbourne and uh, discovered the, 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 the formula. And as a result of that, the rest is history. Uh, I gave lectures on it. There was a demand for it almost immediately from practitioners, uh, doctors, naturopaths, herbalists, pharmacists. Melbourne's great for the, uh, how can I call it, the, the blend of therapists that, are, that attended my seminars. And so we began to manufacture the Astragalus 8 formula in liquid form. And then quite a few years ago, I sold off the combination to some colleagues of mine, one of whom was a postgraduate student, Paul Keogh and his dear brother, uh, Jeff, uh, brother-in-law Jeff Teasel, and they took the preparation a lot further. And now I'm um, pleased to say Blackmore's own the formula and will take it to its next very successful designation. And Annette has rung in from Curry, and your question's also to do with Astragalus 8. Yes. Hello, Annette. Oh, good afternoon, Dennis. Um, I'm just ringing up to ask you, um, my husband was diagnosed with cancer years ago yes. and we put him on astragalus yes. date and I used to buy it by the bottle yes. out of the big container from market from yes. go by the Cessna. Yes. But he can't get that anymore like that. And okay. the stuff that they're... Oh, sorry. The product that they're selling now doesn't seem the same. Is your product from your... your um, the news, um, is it the same as the old astragalusate of previous years? Uh, let me just say a few things here. If something doesn't taste exactly the same as what you've been used to, um, don't read too much into that, Annette, because manuf- there are various manufacturers of liquid herbal products, and they all use different techniques. They oh. all they all extract the same chemistry from the herb, albeit they might use a different strength of ethanol or yeah. include other substances in the extracting medium. So I, I would be confident in saying that even though the preparation you're referring to presently might uh, taste a little bit different, I'm, I would be confident that it would be uh, the same Astragalus 8 formulation. 
Yeah, because I know when I couldn't get it from Mark, I actually went to the chemist and got it from the chemist, Correct. and it wasn't the same. Definitely not the same. Okay. What um, I su- what I said su- <laughs> what I suggest you do, Annette, um, ring uh, ring my rooms. Yes. And I can talk to you further about this. Oh, good. Thank you. And if- I, I'd like to get back on it because the last few years. Every time I've had a flu shot, and I've had an ammonia shot this year because yeah. of my age, yes. and I've got the sh- shockingest cold, oh, and, I, and it does it to me every time, and dear, I'm dear, starting dear. to think I shouldn't be doing it. Yes, dear, dear. Um, and I'm wondering if that would help me. I'm sure the Astragalus 8 formula would help you, and uh, you know my room's numbers in Cessnock and yes. New Lambton. Yes. Ring me, and I can talk to you further about the product. What days are you in Cessnock, please, Dennis? Every second Tuesday of, every, of the month, I only consult okay. there one on a one uh, day. I know month. you come from our area. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, and, Dan, and thank you very uh, much. I'm proud. Time. I'm proud to come from your area. My great grandmother, in fact, is buried in Curry Cemetery, and I frequently visit her. That is definitely <laughs> a a link, isn't it? Uh, this is Health Naturally. Louise has rung in from Bonville, and your question is about psoriasis on the soles of the feet, Louise. Yes, I have. I've had it. Um, I developed that when I was about 52. Yes. And I went to the doctor and he said it had been caused by menopause. And it splits my feet. I can see, look through and see the muscles sometimes. Okay. Okay. And um, just recently I was put onto a medication by um, a skin specialist. Yes. And my hair started to fall out. And um, every, every side effect... You right, so right. on the medication I got. You copped it, eh? Copped it. Look, yeah, yeah. Uh, time has just about run out, but I know your condition well, and I've yes. been able to help some people with it. The, the, okay. The, the, uh, what I'll be happy to do for you is to send you free of charge from the station a jar of my GA Complex Cream. Now, let right. me just explain this. GA Complex Cream is based on an extract of licorice, but it also contains a small amount of oil of cade or juniper tar as we call it and this right. is this is proven to be a very useful remedy particularly for psoriasis on the soles of the feet so at the end right. of, at the end of the at the end of my talking to you uh, stay on the line and uh, our producer will get your name and address and I'll send you a jar of this to try to see okay. if it helps but the other thing and this is going to be very very controversial but I have no problems in defending it I am a user of what's called homeopathic medicine. And I yes. know that's very controversial, but some of my best results uh, on skin conditions, particularly with a cracking and splitting associated yes. with psoriasis and eczema, mm. have been done with two homeopathic remedies. The first one, interestingly, is petroleum. And the second, right. and the second one is graphite. And both of those would be in what's called the 6C potency. Now, okay. now uh, where, where do you live? I, I live? I've lived in Newcastle all my life, yes. but I've just moved up to Bonville. Okay. Well, look. And, um, but I, what I'll do, I think I'll do is I'll, I'll ring up and make an, a, an appointment to see you. Well, that's, that's okay. But if you, in, if, if yeah. you wanted to, uh, to get those remedies, you would be able to get them also from compounding pharmacists, visionary health at Hamilton. But either way, I would see that as a starting base and I'm not aware of those remedies ever having having, uh, the hair fall out as a consequence. 
<laughs> oh no, it was unbelievable what I went through. It was um, dear, 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 it was dear. a sore throat, and I oh, I had to take uh, well, if I was a young person, I had to take double contraceptive. Oh, otherwise, I'd have a really highly deformed mm. fetus. Oh, okay, well, and stay- I can't get blood for two years. And, yeah. <laughs> okay, Louise, you stay on the line, and uh, you can talk to Sally in a moment, and we will go. Just for our last little bit, we will go to Susan from Anna Bay, and you've got a persistent cough. Our last call in just a short time. Susan, thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Hello, Susan. I've had a persistent cough for between 25 and 30 years. Dear, dear, dear. I've had um, medical treatment for it. I've had pruritus ticked off the list. I have not had... um, that with a blood test. Yes. I've had an esophagoscopy, I've had nasal yes. um, look down yep. behind the nose and I get to the stage where I just get fed up with it. Yes. It okay. can be brought on by eating, yes. heat, cold, yeah. and, anything and day like or that. night. Okay. Look, I've, I've got very little time and I'm not going to do justice to this but the remedies that I immediately think of there, one of them is called wild cherry bark. Mm-hmm. Now in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia which is our Bible, you will find that it's called up for persistent, irritable coughs. Mm-hmm. So it becomes the basis of my liquid formulation, which also incorporates the herb licorice, yeah. the herb marshmallow, mm-hmm. and the herb sundew, and the herb thyme. Now, they would all be prescribed in a liquid formulation, which you should be able to get from a herbalist, health food store, or pharmacist up where you are, and I formulate that and administer it in five mil dosages. Run it past your practitioners up there. If you can't get anyone to formulate it for you, well, then I'd be happy to do that for you. And do you have that formula in in at your practice? Well, I have the herbs there, and we would dispense it from the dispensary. Thank you very much, Dennis. Thank you, Susan. Oh, thank you, Susan, for your call. And uh, we do still have just half a minute. Just half a minute. (laughs) It's been really interesting. A lot of different. um, Well, what we what we could uh, what we could say about the whole history of this is that what started in the backwoods of say uh, Pennsylvania and led to what is now Western herbalism has led to a situation now where herbal medicine today, dependent as it is very much on North American herbs, has become very, very much more eclectic than what it originally was. As, as you would have noted, herbs like astragalus uh, come from a, an Asian background. And in my fertility mix, uh, which is very, very successful, uh, we use now Ayurvedic remedies, uh, herbal, uh, herbs like Shadavari, Asparagus racemosa, or withania. Those two herbs from the Ayurvedic tradition also now are typical representatives Uh, in the Western system of herbalism. And that we will explore, I'm sure, sometime later. We will. In Health Naturally to NURFM.